0: Father in heaven, just thank you again for the privilege of opening the word. Please arrest our minds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can open your Bibles to the book of Judges. The book of Judges. And what we're going to try to do in the limited time that we have is to peruse three to four chapters covering the story of Samson. As we go through these passages... Just have your mind open as the Spirit speaks to our our minds, all right? In Judges chapter 13, we're going to begin reading at verse number 1. If you have it, just say, Amen. Amen. Judges chapter 13, verse 1, the Bible says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine, nor strong drink, and eat not any un clean thing. Verse 5, for lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, I've entitled our talk tonight, Samson, Sex, Sin, and Salvation. Samson, Sex, Sin, and Salvation. Song of Solomon 2 verse 15 says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards. Keep that in mind as we're going to study tonight. Now, I want to go back to Judges chapter 13 for a moment. I want you to analyze what we've just read. We see that God has an issue with Israel. Israel is constantly rebelling against God. And in their acts of rebellion against God, God is now looking for someone to help deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines, comes to a woman. And in this story, many times I've heard this story many times over, but in my observation of the text, I saw something I never saw before. In the text, you'll see there where it says, now therefore beware, I pray thee, verse four, drink not wine nor strong drink, And eat no unclean thing, for lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite from the womb. And I was thinking about it as I was reading it, always as a child, as I read this story, I knew Samson was a Nazarite, right? That was clear to me that Samson was a Nazarite, but did you know that his mama was a Nazarite? I saw the quizzical look on your face. Go with me. Hold your hand here in the book of Judges. I want you to go to the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter six. And I want you to see and observe what is required to be a Nazarite. In Numbers, chapter six, beginning at verse one, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When either man or, what's it say, man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow." of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine, nor vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. Do you see that? Verse 4 says, all the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. All the days of the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled in which he separated himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy and shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow. I'm going to pause for a moment. I want you to think and observe. Do you notice that if you were a Nazirite, oftentimes you were a Nazirite by choice. You chose to be a Nazirite. You would choose Say, you know what, I'm going to be a Nazarite for 21 days. I'm going on a fast for this many days. I'm going to consecrate myself to God for this many days. And you could choose to do that, male or female. But do you know that Samson did not have a choice? Nazarite, he was from birth. Remember, the angel said, I want you, the mommy, I want you to take on this vow. As you take on this vow, when this boy is born, he will be born into this covenant relationship. Now, listen, I'm I'm laying a foundation. We've just begun. So interestingly, you are not supposed to eat anything from a vine, whether it was a moist grape, whether it was a grape juice, whether it was was wine or whatever, whatnot. You could not do that. Now, watch what else it says. It says... All the days that he separated himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. Do you see that? Verse 7. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother or for his sister when they die, because the consecration of his God is upon his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. Last one we're going to read now. And if any man die very suddenly by him. And he after found the head of his consecration. Pay attention. Then he shall shave his head in the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day shall he shave it. Now, if you are a Bible student, you should already know the rest of the sermon. Did you see what that just said? Now that now that we've read the text, let's go back to the story. Judges chapter 13. Go back to that story now. Judges chapter 13. Watch now as we read. This woman has been encountered or has encountered an angel of the Lord the angel of the Lord says you're going to raise this child in a particular way now I tell you the truth I've been married now for let's look at the numbers here 11 12 years had to calculate my wife will hear this been married for 12 years now I don't care if a man comes to my wife and says you know what this is how we should raise you should raise your child I would be highly suspicious Does, does that make sense Nobody gets to come into my house and tell me how I'm going to raise my children. But here, this woman says, someone from the Lord has come. Look at verse 6 of chapter 13. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, a man of God came unto me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God, very terrible. But I asked him, not whence he was, neither told me his name. But he said unto me, behold, thou shalt conceive a barren son, and thou shalt not drink any wine nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Please note, Samson does not have a choice whether or not he's going to be a Nazarite. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God, which thou didst sin, come again unto us, and watch what it says, and teach us what we shall do unto the child, That shall be born. Oh, that the parents of this day would do what Samson's parents did. Lord, show us how we should raise this child. Show us how we should guide this young person in the way of righteousness. Oh, if parents would have done or do what Samson's parents have done. Now, I want you to jump down because we're just perusing carefully through the text here. I want you to go to verse number 12. It says in verse 12, this is now the the man of God has come back in verse 12. And Manoah said, now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child and how shall we do unto him? And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, of all that I said unto the woman, let her beware. She may not eat of anything that cometh of the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Verse 15. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee until we have made ready a kid for thee. So I want to observe for a moment. Do we have, and I'm having a conversation with you, do we have any word from the Lord in regards to how to raise children? Any, do we have any word from the Lord like that? Now, if we were to peruse the Old Testament and we would go through a step-by-step study and figure out who the angel of the Lord was, you would find in your detailed study that the angel of the Lord was none other than Jesus pre-incarnate. So what we have here is the testimony of Jesus directly to Manoah and his wife and how to raise children. Do we have anything called the testimony of Jesus or the spirit of prophecy amongst us that teaches us how to raise children? Yes, we do. We have child kindness. We have Adventist home. We have our Bibles. You know, when I think about this and, you know, and I'm observing the text and I'm looking at how God does things, he's not any, any different today than he was back then. And I'm saying to you, parents and guardians and church leaders, we don't have to guess about how to raise children. It's funny. So we have spirit of prophecy. We have things like councils on stewardship. We have Christian ministry. We have ministry of healing. The spirit of prophecy is amongst us, friends. I'm saying it's amongst us. It's not like we have to go make something up. We don't have to go to school to get it. I'm saying I have a school. I'm not saying schools are bad. I'm saying you don't have to go to school to get it. I'm saying if we really want to know, if we really want to be consecrated to God's work and his service, we can go get those books. We can pick them up. We can read them. We can apply them to our experience. So here the family is looking They're they're excited. And I want you to note again the experience that they have in verse 17. It says, And Manoah sent unto the angel of the Lord, what is thy name? That when thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honor. And the angel of the Lord, remember, the angel of the Lord is Jesus said unto him, Why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is a secret? So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously, and Manoah and his wife looked on, for it came to pass when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar that the angel of the Lord ascended, how? How did it ascend? Inside the flame, my friends. This is no ordinary angel. In the flame, and Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife than Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. Now, I read that as background because, again, we're about to study this young man. Now, this young man, do you think he was special? Oh, yeah, I'm telling you, if an angel of the Lord comes down and talks to you, it's special. This young man is special. Now, I'm I'm going to step back. I'm going to paint the picture for you. Samson did not choose to be a Nazarite. An angel of the Lord comes down, instructs the family how to raise this young man, gives them details on what to do with him. Now we meet the young man. You would expect now that he's been raised in this Adventist home, that the principles have been fallen. You would expect that when we meet this young man, he's going to be pristine. Let's meet him. Judges chapter 14. This is the first meeting of Samson. Watch what we see. And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and mother and said, this is our first meeting of Samson. I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. Mercy, friends. This is the first time we meet Samson. This is the first time we get introduced to this child that's been raised in an Adventist home under the direction of Spirit of Prophecy, and we meet him, and he's not listening for his parents' instruction. He's telling his parents what to do. Go get me a woman that's not even of the special people of God. If I talk like that to my mom, huh? If I talk like that to my dad, that's not going to go down very well. But here, Samson speaks like that to his parents. Verse 3 says, And his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren, or among all my people, that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. Now I'm going to propose to you, parents. And I'm going to propose to you, young people, that Samson resented his special calling. I'll say it again. Samson resented that he was a seven day Adventist. He resented the restrictions that his home was put on him. He resented his special calling and his uniqueness. Why do we have to be so peculiar, so different? I don't want to be different. Go get that woman over there for me. He resented his calling, my friends. I'm going to prove it to you more as we go along. Watch this. Now, it's interesting when you begin to read the story. We're perusing, we're studying tonight. Look at verse 4. It says, but his father and mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over the Israel. Now, remember Samson's special calling. What was its calling? What w- in the beginning of the chapter, why did God call Samson? To do what? To deliver Israel. Now, listen to me carefully. I'm going to show you on the screen in a minute. But listen to me carefully. One way or the other, you're going to fulfill God's calling. One way or the other, you're going to fulfill God's calling. Not that you don't have a choice in life or or that he's dictating to you what to do. At the end of the day, God is working all things after the counsel of his own will for the plan of salvation. One way or the other, God's calling on your life will be fulfilled. The question is, which way do you want it fulfilled? So here... Watch what it says now. Pay attention to the details. Verse 5 says, Then Samson went down and his father and mother to Timnath and came to the vineyard of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against him. Now you'll notice as you read through the chapters and in Judges in chapter 13, 14, 15, whenever Samson goes by a vineyard, there's always a woman involved. Just saying. Verse 6. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. Pay attention. And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleads Samson well. Growing up, you know what that means. And after a time, he returned to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took, therefore, in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother and he gave them and they did eat. But he told not them that he had taken the honey out of the what carcass of a what? Okay, let's think for half a second. Numbers chapter 6 told us the prerequisites for being set aside as a Nazirite. Please tell me what was one of the prerequisites regarding being set aside as a Nazirite. What was one of them? Do not touch dead carcasses. Not only did this man touch dead carcass. Just think about this again. When you read the Bible, it's okay to use your sanctified imagination. Dead carcass of lion honey inside dead carcass of lion. Man goes to dead carcass of lion, puts hand inside dead carcass to get said honey. Would you do that? Some of you would. Now I wouldn't do that. Honey can stay inside dead carcass. But this man resented and was testing the limits of the grace of God so much so that he says, let me see how close I can come to the breaking of this vow and see if my strength will remain. You know, I used to think when I read this story that it was only when Delilah was messing with his head and playing with his hair that that's when he was really testing it. But when we first meet this man, he's walking by the vineyards. Why did he have to walk by the vineyards? Was he smelling the grapes? Why is it that he's just perusing ever so closely to the edge of the object? God said, do not go here. Samson resents his calling. And as he's resenting the calling, he's willing to go inside of a dead carcass, take the honey. But it's so interesting, like when you and I sin, when we do it, some of us like to keep it secret. Some of us like to share our sins. Some of us don't want to keep it to ourselves. This man took the honey out of the dead lion, takes it to his parents. Bible makes it clear. He did not tell his parents where he got it from. If he had said it, mom and dad would, what are you doing? Don't you know you have a special calling on your life? You see, Samson did not desire to abide he resented his uniqueness. He resented his calling. Now the Bible goes on to talk about this woman. And if you read the chapter, I won't go through every detail. They're about to try to get married. Then there's this big feast. And now he tells a riddle, right? And tells the riddle to the woman. Tells her the answer to the riddle. Then he gives the riddle to everyone else. Everyone else can't get it. So they can begin to press upon the woman to give the answer to the riddle. Of course, the woman gives the answer to the riddle. And upon giving the answer to the riddle, put Samson in a bad place. Now, notice the weakness of Samson. And again, I read verse 15 now of chapter 14. And right now we're just examining the passages. Verse 15 says, And it came to pass on the seventh day that they said unto Samson's wife, Entice thy husband that he may declare unto us the riddle, lest we burn thee in thy father's house with fire. Have ye called us to take that we have? Is it not so? Verse 16 And Samson's wife wept before him, and said, Thou dost hate me, and lovest me not. Thou hast put forth a riddle unto the children of my people, and hast not told it of me. And he said unto her, Behold, I have not told it my father nor my mother, and shall I tell it thee? And she wept before him the seven days. Mercy. While their feast lasted, and it came to pass on the seventh day that he told her, because she lay sore upon him. And she told the riddle to the children of her people. And the men of the city said unto him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? And he said unto them, If ye had not plowed with my heifer, ye had not found out my riddle. Now pause for a second, man. (laughs) You see that last part of that sentence? Who talks like that? Does that sound like a converted man to you? Does it sound like a godly person to you? Well, watch what happens next. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Is anybody paying attention? This man has violated his covenant. This man does not like his special calling, but the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And he went down to the Ascalon and slew 30 men of them and took their spoil and gave change of garments unto them, which expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled and he went up to his father's house. I'm reading this again for the first time. Samson just stole. Did You see that? The spirit of the Lord came upon him. He uses this almighty power to now rob other people to pay his own debt. Nobody's paying attention. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given his companion, whom he had used as a friend. Samson doesn't come across as a godly man. Does he come across as a godly man to you? I'm reading this story, and I'm I'm shaking my head. My brain's not processing what's going on here. Because this ungodly man is being used by God to fulfill a particular mission. I'm going to read something to you. It says, It is the little foxes that spoil the vines, the little neglects, the little deficiencies, the little dishonesties, the little departures from principle that blind the soul and separate it from God. Did it say big things or little things? Little things. We're talking about abiding in Christ, right? We're talking about being connected with him. That's the little things. Samson was doing little things. Separating his soul from God. It is the little things of life that develop the spirit and determine the character. Those who neglect the little things will not be prepared to endure severe tests when they are brought to bear upon them. Remember that the character building is not finished till life ends. Every day, a good or a bad brick is placed in the structure. You are either building crookedly or with the exactness and correctness that will make a beautiful temple for God. Therefore, in looking for great things to do, neglect not the, what What does it say? Little opportunities that come to you day by day. He who neglects the little things and yet flatters himself that he is ready to do wonderful things for the master is in danger of failing altogether. Life, is made up not of great sacrifices and wonderful achievements, but of, what's it say? Little things. Samson had neglected the little things, my friends, but even in his neglect, God was merciful. God was still using him. God was still pouring out his spirit upon him. God was still directing Samson's life. To the point, now, of course, you read chapter 15. We're not going to read every detail there. Samson is upset that his wife has been given to someone else. He takes all these foxes, ties their tails together. In fact, read verse 3. It says, As Samson said, Concerning them now, I shall be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. Verse 4. And Samson went and caught 300 foxes. First of all, how do you catch 300 foxes? I mean, that's some skill. He catches them, and then he takes them and ties them together and puts fire. I mean, he had to think that thing through. And then they're running through the field, and they're burning everything up, right? So as they're doing this, now, again, I'm watching the text. Burning everything up, everybody's mad. And it says in verse number 7, And Samson said unto them, Though ye have done this, yet I will avenge Ochus, because they burned his wife up. I will avenge you, and after that I will cease. And he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter, and he went down and dwelt in the top of the rock of Itam. Then the Philistines went up and pitched in Judah and spread themselves in Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why are you come up against us? And they answered, To bind Samson are we come up, to do to him as he have done to us. Then three thousand men of Judah. (laughs) I think that's interesting. Why did it take 3,000 men to go get one guy? Went to the top of Itam and said to Samson, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? Don't you understand who's in charge? What is this that thou hast done unto us? And he said unto them, As they did unto me, so I have done unto them. And he said unto him, We are come down to bind thee, that we may deliver thee into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said unto them, Swear unto me that ye will not fall upon me yourselves. And they spake unto him, saying, No, but we will bind thee fast, and deliver thee into their hand, but surely we will not kill thee. And they bound him, watch the phrase here, and they bound him with two new cords, and they brought him up from the rock. Verse 14, And when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, watch, And the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his bands loose from off his hands. Watch carefully. And he found a, what's it say? A new jawbone of an ass. Now, first of all, why is it a new jawbone? Do You know what a new jawbone is? You can look that up. A new jawbone is fresh. Dead bone with all the sinew and stuff on it. He found a new jawbone of an ass. But wait a second. I'm thinking out loud because I, I go back to the very beginning of the premise. If you're a Nazarite, are you supposed to touch dead animals? So listen to what's happening. Even under the unction of the spirit of God, he grabs something that he's not supposed to. Does God take his spirit away right when he does it? He takes the jawbone of an ass. And he kills, how many does he kill? A thousand men. So even under the unction of the Spirit of God, he's doing a mighty work. And in doing that mighty work, he's still polluting his own soul because he's still not following instruction. Still not following instruction. Each step, each progressive step is leading him to a point where he's going to be blinded, brothers and sisters. And God in his mercy does not exact judgment right away. And in him not doing that, sometimes our hearts become hardened. It's interesting, you know, traveling and preaching and doing all this. This is not the first conference of the year. This is, this is probably my third or fourth or fifth conference I've been to this year, preaching, preaching, preaching. And people come, come, come. They always come every year. There's a new group coming. And I think to myself, God has us come together all these different times. Every time the word is given, Every time an appeal is made, if you do not give your all, do you know what's happening inside your heart? Your heart and your heart. So it's almost dangerous to come to meetings. Especially if you're just coming to be entertained. Come and just hang out. We're coming to hang out. It's chill. It's chill time. In my mind, as I'm looking at the story and I'm watching this man, Samson, I see myself. Hopefully you see yourself. I see myself, a Seventh-day Adventist young man in the church, hearing the sermons, hearing the messages over and over again, doing just about what's right. God's Spirit is upon me, but every so often... It's interesting, after he slays a thousand men, notice what he says after. Verse 16. And Samson said, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of an ass, have I slain a thousand men. Now, this is actually a song. He's actually singing this. So when you sing the song, look at the song again. Look at the heart of the song. And Samson said, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of an ass, have I slain a thousand men. Do you see him praising God? Do you see him thanking God for giving him mighty victories? He's taking pride into himself. This is great work that I've done. This is a great ministry that I've set up. This is a great work that we're doing. This is the great intellect that I have. He's singing a song of self-exaltation after God has done mighty works through him. But you'll quickly see that his humanity takes over in verse number 17 because he gets thirsty. And what the Bible says, it says, and it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called the place Ramath Lehi. And he was sore thirst and called on the Lord and said, thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. And now shall I die of thirst? <laughs> and fall fall in the hand of the uncircumcised. But God clave a hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water thereout. I thought that was so strange. Did you think that's strange? I thought it was strange. And i and I do it like this. So as you're matriculating through life and God starts giving you all these wonderful victories and things start happening, you end up sometimes taking glory to yourself. That happens. Then when bad things happen, you start getting thirsty, hungry, you know, the necessities of life start pushing up against you. You call out back to God. God help. And God is so humble that he will still come down to help you even though in that time that he was already helping you, you were neglecting him. I think about God's mercy and his grace and his long suffering, and sometimes I say to myself, Father, I don't deserve you keep coming back to me. I don't deserve you keep coming back to me. In fact, it is sometimes dangerous when he keeps coming back, you know? Because you start thinking in your mind he's going to keep coming back. So in your mind, your Christianity now resolves upon living righteous and then falling and he's going to get me back up, and I'm going to live righteous, and I'm going to fall again, and you don't ever get to the place where you truly believe that he can keep you. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? So God places a spirit upon him again, and he's revived, and he called the place thereof en which is in Lehi until this day, and then it says and he judged israel in the days of the philistines 20 years watch the next chapter man this guy chapter 16 then went samson to gaza and saw there a harlot and went in unto her and it was told the gazites saying samson has come hither and they compassed the man and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city and were quiet all the night, saying, In the morning, when it is day, we shall kill him. And Samson lay till midnight and rose at midnight and took the doors of the gate of the city. And the two posts and went away with them, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them up into the top of the hill that is before Hebron. Wait a second. Samson just slept with a harlot. If you and I were having church meeting, he would be disfellowship. Yes? Yes, he would be disfellowshipped, right? He wakes up from that harlot behavior, and he still has supernatural strength. God's spirit is still upon him. Y'all not hear what I'm saying. Just because God uses you doesn't mean that you are truly his. I hope you hear what I'm saying. It doesn't mean you're truly his. What he's trying to do, he's trying to win you. He's trying to extend his mercy toward you. He's trying to pull you into himself. He's crying out to you, please, my child, come to me. Come, abide with me. That's what he's saying. But supernatural evidence, power in preaching, gifts in Bible study, healing of people doesn't mean you are fully his. You see, God desires something more. Hmm. He desires your heart. I read this story and I... The first time I read it, as I had more understanding, I actually cried. Because I... I read this, and there's another study that I do that talks about the Holy Spirit not only being with you, but in you. And I'm saying to myself, Lord, I don't want to come down to the end of all these things. And like it's said in that a certain, haven't I preached in your name, and haven't I done Bible study? Didn't I go to GYC? Didn't I do all these prayer conferences? Didn't I do all these things? And then he comes and says, I never knew you. I don't know you. One of the greatest dangers is to be in this room right now. It's safer to be a harlot in the street because at least you know you're doing harlotry. It's religiosity that is the most dangerous thing to us as a people. God even says you have a form of godliness and tells the world from such stay away. Don't go near that fig tree. It bears no fruit. See, abide with me, he says. If you abide, then you will bear fruit. Good fruit. Fruit that comes from a divine place. You remember the story of the Aaron's rod that budded? You remember the the rod was completely barren. It bore no fruit at all. In order for them to figure out who was really God's chosen persons, they would take their rods. They put a special marking on it and they took this completely dead rod and put it in the presence of God. And the one God chose that rod bore fruit. That rod bore fruit. Not because it had any life in and it of itself. It was a dead rod. See, my friends, it's very interesting. When you start looking at the fall of Lucifer, Lucifer is looking at his, the fruits, the jewels, the gems, and begins to get corrupted by reason of his brightness, right? He's looking at the fruit and begins to worship his own self. You can do God's work and worship your own fruit and be lost, So here he is, and now we get to the part of the story that we're all are very familiar with, but I'm going to emphasize it in such a manner. It says, and it came to pass, verse 4, After that, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Please note, remember in the beginning it was Timnath, the valley of Timnath. Sorek is also a place where they had much um, vineyards, all right? Her name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came unto her and said unto her, entice him and see wherein his great strength lieth, And by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And we will give thee every one of us eleven hundred pieces of silver. I do want you to note that those of us who seek to live righteous in God. I'll say this way. You know family members know how to push your buttons. Man, you could be around a whole bunch of other people. They could say whatever. You'd be like whatever. Your little brother or sister come around. They say something. You're like, you know, you're ready to jump, right? So I'm riding in the car, my family member, minding my own business. And then they started, you know, in the only way that family could do it, just beep, beep. They just kept going, beep. And I said what I said in a little bit of. Uh, Frustration. And the person turned back to me and said, see, I knew you were just like me. Like, they intentionally, on purpose, were pushing my buttons to see if I would come off. There are people with that intent. For anyone you claim to be a Christian, they watching you. They're organizing things for you. You say you don't eat that? Uh-huh, we watch. Oh, you say you are a Seventh-day Adventist? Oh, we see your YouTube viewings, your Facebook scrollings, your metadata. I'm going to stand firm when the National Sunday Law comes. Uh-huh. Listen. This Christianity thing that we say that we believe, at some level, my friends, we got to get real with it. The superficial front with these nice suits, you know, holy smiles on the Sabbath day. No. At some level, we're going to have to get real with it and be honest with God about our true condition. eh? So they were looking for a way to prevail against him. And they were willing to pay her lots of money. This is, the same t- this is the same idea with the uh, false prophet Barak and um, Balaam. Thank you. The same story with Balaam. Same thing with Daniel and the, the three Hebrews. Right? The same thing with uh, Daniel and the princes in Persia. Same thing. Verse 6. And the lot said to Samson, tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth, and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. That's her first request. And Samson said unto her, If they bind me with seven green whiffs that were never dried, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Please note, and you can go look this up yourself, seven green whiffs. Why do you choose seven green whiffs? Green whiffs of what? These green whiffs are whiffs of the grapevine, my friend. He's playing with it. Verse 8 says, Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven green whiffs, Which had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now there were men lying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber. And she said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he brake the whiffs as a thread of tow is broken when he touches the fire, so his strength was not known. And Delilah said unto Samson, Behold, thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Now tell me, I pray thee, wherewith thou mightest be bound. This is her second time. And he said unto her, If they bind me fast with new ropes that never were occupied, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Delilah therefore took new ropes and bound him therewith and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And there were liars in wait abiding in the chamber. That must be a big house. And he brake them from off his arms like a thread. And Delilah said unto Samson, hitherto thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Tell me wherewith thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, if thou weavest the seven locks of my head with the web. So pause for a second. Now, any rational guy at this point would know <laughs> if she did it the first time, she's going to do it again. At this point, I don't think Samson really believed that his covenant relationship was real. In other words, Samson now is letting her play with his hair. He's getting closer to the root of it. You, you follow what I'm saying? So before, I put my hand in the lion and nothing happened to me. I done slept with all these women and nothing happened to me. I let her tie me with the, the grapevines nothing happened to me. I'll let her play with my hair see what happens. He's coming closer and closer and closer to violating his covenant altogether. Are you seeing it, my friends? He doesn't believe that the covenant is real. Mm. Because God's judgments are delayed, my friends. And watch verse 14. And she fastened it with a pen and said unto her, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awaked out of his sleep and went away with the pen of the beam and with the web. My imagination just sees this big thing, just, and he's walking off. And then he does it, though. I'm thinking in my mind, Samson, man, you need to get out of the house. And she said unto him, How canst thou say, I love thee, when thine heart is not with me? Listen to this. Listen to the language. How can you say, I love thee when thine heart is not with me. Thou hast mocked me these three times and hast not told me wherein thy strength lieth. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death, that he told her all his heart. Mm -hmm. You know, the book of Proverbs talks about A righteous man finds a righteous woman, and he can trust her with all his heart. But brothers and sisters, don't trust no flake. Don't be telling people what's the deepest part of your heart, and they're not with the Lord. Don't be seeking counsel from people that don't know truly what God's counsel is. There's a danger, my friends, and this is a little side note. There's a danger in sharing your heart with people that don't even know what to do with their own. Do you realize there's a pattern here, too, that uh, remember the first woman? She pressed him daily, and then after several days he gives in. Here again, Samson is pressed daily with this woman, and finally he gives in. I'm going to pause for a second. We're looking at Samson as Samson. I I hope you examine yourself. What is your pattern of weakness? You've been alive long enough. You should be able to see a pattern. The devil comes pretty much the same way most of the time. And some of us have not overcome certain sins, so there's a repeat on our temptations. We haven't graduated to level two. We're on level one's temptation. And the enemy comes the same way, the same way, prodding at our weaknesses over and over. And So what is your weakness? We look at Samson like, dude, you've got a woman problem, man. Samson has a pride problem and a woman problem, and he has an identity problem. All these problems are causing him to be separated from God. What's, what's your problem? What's my problem? He told all his heart for, now watch what he says. Listen to this. Now, mind you, even when he tells her, does he not think that she's going to do it? He has to know, because all the three times before, she did exactly what he told her. Yes? So you have to believe Samson knew somewhere in the back of his brain, when I open my mouth and I tell this woman that what's my secret, she's going to cut my hair off. Somewhere in... It had to be there somewhere. Now watch what he says. You can hear his heart here. That he told her all his heart and said unto her. Now I tell you what's in his heart. There have not come a razor upon mine head. For I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. He don't say that with great joy. He's saying that under frustration. If I be shaven then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And when the Delilah saw, now this is amazing, and when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her, brought money in their hand, And she made him sleep upon her knees. And she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. I read that. There's several things that come to my mind. Number one, now when I read this, I'm thinking, okay, the strength that Samson had was supernatural, meaning that my wife can't beat me up y'all understand that my wife's tough so if we wrestling I know how to maneuver Samson had no strength when supernatural strength was taken away are you seeing that it's not like Delilah was brolic she was a woman and this woman was able to afflict him to the point where he could not resist her strength watch and she said the philistines be upon thee samson and he awoke out of his sleep and said i will go out as other times before what does he mean and shake myself and he wist not that the lord was departed from him now my friends when i read verse 20 i read the experience of adventists who come up in the last crisis who believe they will be strong like they were before and they find that God's spirit has been withdrawn. Prophecy is being fulfilled. Yes, it's time. lot of rain is about to be We're going to go out. No, not today. And I can see it in my mind's eye. And it's a sad look, my friends. We're going to be out there trying to preach and teach, but find ourselves weak and enfeebled, not even able to memorize a verse. Where does that verse at? I know Brother Waller said, I don't even remember what Because we have neglected, my friends. We have set ourselves up for a great fall. It says, verse 21, but the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters and brass. And he did grind in the prison house. I'm going to read something to you. God's promise that through Samson he would begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines was fulfilled. But how dark and terrible the record of that life which might have been a praise to God and a glory to the nation. It goes on to say, had Samson been true to his divine calling, the purpose of God could have been accomplished in his honor and exaltation. But he yielded to temptation and proved untrue to his trust. And his mission was, what's it say? His mission was what? His mission was fulfilled in defeat, bondage, and death. Was his mission completed? Yes, it was. Notice, physically, Samson was the strongest man upon the earth. But in self-control, integrity, and firmness, he was one of the weakest of men. Many mistake strong passion for a strong character. But the truth is that he who is mastered by his passions is a, what's it say? A weak man. A weak woman. Notice, the real greatness of the man is measured by the power of the feelings that he controls, not by those that control him. I was doing a study one time and I was, I heard and read that within Adventism, there are still men that abuse their wives. And I think to myself, what kind of man would abuse his wife? It's a man that thinks that his strength is found in his authority and in control. And in that type of man, in that type of woman, that thinks that way is great weakness. I want you to think about for a moment, I don't want you to think about everybody else. I don't want you to think about the conference. I don't want you to think about apostasy in the church. I want you to think about yourself. Where are you with your Savior? Do your passions have control over you? Do your temptations, your lusts, your desires have control over you? You know, tonight, Jesus offers strength for those who are finding themselves weak. He goes on to say, the very ones whom God purposes to use as his instruments for a special work, which would be everybody in this room, Satan employs his utmost power to lead astray. He attacks us at our, what's it say, my friends? At our weak points. What's your weak point, my friend? You can see Samson's weak point. What's your weak point? He attacked us at our weak points, working through defects in the character to gain control of the whole man. And he knows that if these defects are cherished, he will succeed. But I love the last part. But none need be what? None. None need be overcome. You do not have to be a slave to your temptations. You do not need to be a slave to your sins. None need be overcome. Why? Why? Tell us why. It says, man is not left alone to conquer the power of evil by his own feeble efforts. Help is at hand and will be given to every soul who really desires it. Do you desire it, my friends? It says, angels of God that ascend and descend, the ladder which Jacob saw in vision will help every soul who will to climb even to the highest heaven. Patriots and Prophets 568, paragraph two. My friends, that is a promise. How many of you want to go to higher ground? Those who in the way of duty are brought into trial may be sure that God will preserve them. But if men willfully place themselves under the power of temptation, they will fall. What's it say? Sooner or what? Do you see that in Samson? You know, whenever I'm giving this talk, I'm afraid of this talk. And the reason why I'm afraid of this talk is because I'm talking to Adventists here. If there was a way that we can link our minds with a screen and I will put your brain on the screen and then all the truth of your life will be placed there. So it's like this is not an exercise for me just to get up here and preach to you. This is an exercise so that you can examine yourself to see where you truly are with God, that there be nothing left secretly inside that would corrode your soul. Because we could quickly leave this place and then run about and start doing all the different and then never really deal with what's here. We can start doing Bible work again. We start preaching again. We start going back to work again and then covering all that up, covering all of it up. And then when we get to the Christ, oh, we're back. But I started this ministry. And no, friends, it doesn't matter what ministry you're part of. Remember, Martha worked a lot. One chair of sin. How many, my friends? One chair of sin will, little by little, debase the character. Bringing all its noble powers into subjection to the evil desire. The removal of one safeguard. How many safeguards? I was talking to a gardener today. He said, you know what? Before you start planting that garden, you need to put a fence up. You need to protect what is about to be precious in your garden. Removal of one safeguard from the conscience. The indulgence of one evil habit. One neglect of the high claims of Before I keep reading, do we not see this with Adam and Eve? How many times does she eat from the fruit? How many times? We don't need a bunch of things, friends. We just need one the indulgence of one evil habit, one neglect of the high claims of duty, one breaks down the defenses of the soul and opens the way for Satan to come in and lead us astray. The only safe course, pause, whenever I read inspiration that says only, I should do a sermon called only. The only safe course is to let our prayers go forth daily from a sincere heart, as did David, hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. That should be the nature, the inspiration of our prayers. Hold up my goings in thy path, that my footsteps slip not. The righteousness of Christ will not cover one cherished sin. A man may be a lawbreaker in heart, yet if he commits no outward act of transgression, he may be regarded by the world as possessing great integrity. Let me read it again. The righteousness of Christ will not cover one cherished sin. A man may be a lawbreaker, where, my friends? In the hearts. If he commits no outward act of transgression, he may be regarded by the world as possessing what? Mm. That's a heavy saying, man. But God's law looks into the secrets of the heart. Every act is judged by the motives that prompt it. Only that which is in accord with the principles of God's law will stand in the judgment. Outward conformity to religious norms gains us nothing. The truth must proceed from the inward man. And the only way that it really proceeds from the inward man is that that man that is unrighteous, unclean, somehow is in the presence of the Almighty One. And you stay there. You abide there. You stay there. And as you stay there, something supernatural begins to happen in your experience, my friend. Education page 192. My favorite quote as the student of the Bible beholds the Redeemer. There's awakening in the soul the mysterious power of faith, adoration, and love. Upon the vision of Christ, the gaze is fixed, and the beholder grows into the likeness of that which he adores. I'm telling you, there's only one way you must behold the man, Jesus. You got to figure it out. And when I say the phrase, everybody knows the phrase, but how do you behold? I'm quite sure it's going to be explained as we go along. My friends, we got to figure out how to behold him. We got to figure out how to see him. Because the change has to be a supernatural one. It has to happen from the inside out. It has to happen from the inside out, a true fruit experience of being connected to the almighty vine. Even one wrong trait of character, one sinful desire persistently cherished will eventually neutralize the power of the gospel. Every sinful indulgence strengthens the soul's aversion to God. The man who manifests in infidel hardihood Or a stolid indifference to divine truth is but reaping the harvest of that which he has himself sown. In all the Bible, there is not a more fearful warning against trifling with evil than the words of the wise man that the sinner shall be holding with the cords of his sin. I want you to go back to the chapter and we're going to end because I know you're sleepy. It's probably 1 o'clock where I'm from, so you'll be all right. Chapter 16, verse 22, it says, Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. Do you remember what it said in Numbers chapter 6? That if a Nazarite had defiled himself, how was he to make himself clean? Supposed to shave his head. In Samson's head being shaved, symbolically, he was about to go through a cleansing. Now his hair is growing back. Verse 23, then the lords of the Philistines gathered themselves together for a great sacrifice unto Dagon. Dagon is the fish god with the fish head looking thing. To rejoice, for they said, our God have delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, our God have delivered into our hands our enemy. And the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass when our hearts were merry that they said call Samson that he may make us sport and they called for Samson out of the prison house and he made them sport and they set him between the pillars mm. and Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand suffer me that I may fill the pillars whereupon the house standeth that I may lean upon them now the house was full of men and women and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof about three thousand men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. Watch now. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O oh Lord, you know, first time reading this. So do you realize that this is the first time in all of the chapters here spoken of that Samson actually calls on God for strength? In the other part, he never called on God for strength any other time except for when he was hungry and thirsty, he wanted some water. But this is the first time he's calling for strength to deal with his enemies. And it says, O Lord, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once. O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines from my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood, and on which was borne up of the one with his right hand of the other with his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead when he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. So I read this and I think, man, this man is in the hall of faith. He's in Hebrews chapter 11. Huh? I mean, if he made it, Are you hearing what I'm saying? If Samson made it, then there's hope for me. If Samson made it, then there's hope for you. He slew more in his death than in his life. I remember reading a quotation that says, it is a solemn thing for man to die, but a much more solemn thing for man to live. I wonder if there could be more slain in our life than in our death. But if you look at it the other way, we need to die in Christ so that Christ can live. And there be more slain in our death to self than in our own living to our own selves. If God can save Samson, then he can save you. If God can save Samson, then he can save me. There's much more to the story. I can go to prophetic parallels and do all those wonderful things, but I think the meat of the matter is simple. What's going on in your heart? What's going on In your soul? Is there a secret sin? Is there a cherished sin? You know what a cherished sin is. A cherished sin is, you know, there are sins that you could be like, yeah, I don't have to do that anymore. A cherished sin is more like, this is my baby. I'm going to keep this one. Do you have a sin like that? That one sin will neutralize the power of the gospel. Do you understand the power of the gospel? Do you understand the power of the gospel? The power of the gospel is so so much demonstrated that the man Jesus is in the grave. And resurrection power calls him out of the grave. One cherished sin can neutralize resurrection power? Yes, it can. My appeal is simple tonight. I already know God's spirit is going to move. And he is moving. But if he's going to do what he has to do, you and I have to be willing to let him do it. You and I have to be willing to give. Let me say it a different way. You and I have to be willing to allow him to take our hearts. for we cannot give him. They are his property. We have to ask him to keep them, for we cannot keep them ourselves. We have to ask him to save us from ourselves. Our weak, un like selves. And then we have to ask him to lift us into his holy and pure atmosphere. Where the rich currents of his love can truly flow through our soul. That's my prayer. If you want to pray that same prayer, join me on your knees. Father, I sense your presence. And Lord, we just want to abide. We just want to stay here with you. It is so very easy to have a false pretense and a front, but you see everything as it truly is. Please save us, Father. It's only by beholding your Son that there is a true knowledge of self. Please show us your Son. I read over and over again, Lord, it is in gatherings like these that you desire to pour out your spirit upon your people. And It's so often that we gather like this, Father, and we don't receive what you intend to be poured out. But, Father, right here, right now, we're on our knees. And we're saying, take our hearts, for we cannot give them. They are your property. Keep them, for we cannot keep them for thee. Save us from ourselves, our weak, unchrist-like selves, and raise us into a pure and holy atmosphere, Father, where we can truly understand and experience your love. For Father, I know that if we experience your love, this hardened heart, this crazy desire for the world, will go away. So please, Lord, open our eyes that we may see you. You are no respecter of persons. Help us to see you. It is sin that separates us. Show us how to see Jesus. Thank you, Father, for being here with us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the plan of salvation. Thank you for the stories of Samson and the other great characters of Scripture. Thank you for this conference. Thank you for answering our prayers. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. And we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen.